Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into the Money Insights Podcast. We talk all things money and business. Hey, everybody. My name is Christian Allen. I'm with my co-host, Rod the Pod Zabriskie. Rod, what's up, man? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, the snow stopped just this morning. It was snowing earlier this morning, but it stopped yeah, as of right now. And hey, guess what? I'm going to Disneyland this week. Yeah, no snow there. No snow there. It's, it's supposed to be like... 65 to 70 ish degrees like it's not it just it's, for me that's perfect i like it a little bit cooler but yeah. sunny anyway my kids are are huge disney fans yeah so we are gonna go rock out at disney world this or disneyland we're going to disneyland this time and uh anyway i'm super excited yeah. about it. it sounds amazing well 65 70 sounds much better than 35 to 40 so uh yes or or just a couple days ago it was like 20 yeah uh Hey, Rod, have you ever heard of Disney bounding? Uh, only from talking to Heather. Oh, okay. You had a conversation on this, so I won't I won't get into it. This was a new thing for me, but I just thought it was interesting. So my kids, like I said, they're super into um, Disney everything. And mm -hmm. they're they're theatrical kids, right? So they like yeah. to get into the theater stuff. Yeah. Um, anyway, they like the, like this Disney bounding thing is basically where you dress up in the colors or kind of like in like the mantra, the overall style of a Disney yeah. character. And the reason you do that is because if you're 13 or older, you can't Disney says no, no more dress up. No actual like, costume. You can't dress up in costumes and characters and stuff. So anyway, but what you can do is kind of create the essence of that. So mm -hmm. I have got a uh, Donald duck uh, outfit that I'm rocking uh heather got me a beret a blue beret to go nice. with it so it. i'm pretty excited about that and then just a classic like black and red mickey i got red shorts black shirt mickey ears i'm ready to rock and roll so that sounds amazing i can't wait anyway, to see the pictures yeah yeah i'll make sure i try to not send them to anybody but okay <laughs> okay i doubt rod that people are tuning in to hear about my disney adventures so let's get into the topic should we Let's do it. Actually, actually, hold up. We can't get the topic yet. We got to talk about, we got to announce the virtual okay. summit. Okay, yeah. The virtual summit happening on May 4th. Tickets are on sale right now. Go get them. We've got an awesome uh, speaker lineup that we're super excited about. Yeah. We've talked about it. Uh, we have Sharon Lecter, Tom Wilwright, Adam Carroll, Buck Joffrey, Chris Larson, Rod Zabriskie. Christian Allen and Christian Allen. Okay. Yes. Um, okay. Well, we're excited about it. So it's a one day only thing. Now, just to clarify for everybody, if you're wondering about purchasing tickets and you can't make that specific day, we are going to do the recorded version. So if you can't make it, you can still buy a ticket and we will get you the recorded version of all of the talks. So you don't have to worry Absolutely. about that. Yep. Okay. Okay. Rod, on to our topic for today. So our topic for today is one that we run into quite frequently, mm -hmm. right? And we gave an example of this, but I think uh, overall this concept is really important as it relates to wealth building and investing. So yeah. the question or the topic is, is price or cost versus value. 
And this is like an ongoing raging debate. I say that like most people agree that agree that like value is more important. And yet how often do people get stumped on a price, not understanding the value or vice versa? It happens all the time. It happens all the time. Yep. Okay. One of Warren Buffett's favorite quotes, Rod, is he says price. I was going to say he says he's actually quoting um, his mentor, Benjamin Graham. I want to give credit where credit's due. But Benjamin Graham, via Warren Buffett's favorite quote is, price is what you pay, value is what you get. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting, right? And there is a difference between what we pay oftentimes, and not always, but there is usually a difference between what we pay for something and like the true value that we get out of it. Absolutely. And when you're at that moment making the decision, there may be... Uh, some perceived value that you are thinking you're going to get. that's not there. Sometimes we uh, do that to ourselves. Sometimes it's, it's sold to us in that way they, they create yep. that perception on purpose. Um, but, but yeah, absolutely. And, and this is one of those things that, that you have been very consistent with from the day I met you and probably long before uh, in not just life in general but but what we do like the way that we approach our business yeah that we have to create that value for people because if they're going to want to work with us if they're going to want like if it's going to become a topic of conversation for them and they'll speak about it with pride to the people they care about that are you know asking what the kind of things they have going on it's because we created that value we provided that value for them and if we don't do that then no manner of price so to speak um for for someone else or or perceived price uh would cause them to recommend people to us if if we're not providing the value yeah and i think any business uh, like at the core of any business is the value that they provide right that's how you get a, a good business that has an opportunity to do uh to grow and provide value to a lot of people okay rod when I go, when, when I create these outlines, a lot of times what I'll do is once we come up with the topic, mm-hmm. I'll do a bunch of reading and I'll read various articles and usually kind of bring things together to come up with like our line of thinking, our philosophy around something. Yeah. Uh, but I always want to give credit where credit's due. And so I'm, I'm using some material from Phil Towns. I think it's Phil Towns. I'll double check on that. Um, and he wrote an article that was in the Wall Street Journal that was basically on something it wasn't exactly the same but a very similar topic mm-hmm. and so i use some of the information from his to create our our outline uh mixed with a bunch of things from other people but one of the things that in that article that stood out to me is this concept that they said that he says cost or price is arbitrary and value is fundamental okay so so Let's talk about some examples. Uh, well, actually, before I go to that, Rod, what, when you hear that, what does that mean to you? What do you think of when I say price is arbitrary, value is fundamental? Yeah, this is this is an interesting thing because right now, uh, think about real estate, the price attached to real estate these days. And I mean, one, one like extreme, and, and one of the reasons that, that this is a big topic right now is that our daughter... Julianne and her husband, Curtis, they uh, just graduated. He just finished graduating. He uh, got his master's. Uh, they're ready to buy their first house. Yeah. Okay. Exciting some might times. say, wow, this is not they're the like time the to price. be buying. Yeah. Okay. I can relate to that, by the way. I bought my first house in 2007. Yeah. And 
the uh, the attitude then was you just got to get in before the before it keeps going up, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That was the advice I was getting for people. Um, that was brutal. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to. Yeah, and, to and take your line. We're in the Utah market. Prices accelerated like crazy over the last three yep. or four years. They've slowed down. They've even come down a little bit. Uh, but now interest rates, and I, I think there's a relationship there, right? Higher interest rates means costs can't keep going higher. Uh, but then it's funny because uh, you take it back two generations. So I was having a conversation with with my wife, Jody, and she was talking about how like it was always hilarious to her when her mom would talk about the first house they bought <laughs> and they bought it for like, like $10,000. $10, right. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy to think about. Yeah. And then the first house we bought was like 150000 and right. now that's crazy to think about. Yeah, and now this this home that they're looking at, they put a, an offer on uh, for you know I, I don't know exactly what they offered, but basically three hundred, probably three three thirty, something like that. Mm -hmm. And it is like, it's really hard to look at that and say, man, that is worth three hundred thousand bucks. I but know. again, we have this we have this tainted view of of prices right now because of of our own experience. And hearing our parents' experience, and then now you know, here's our kids going out and buying a house, and and it's just really hard to imagine the the prices they're paying now for what they're getting. So the question is, well, we're going to get into the investor part of this because I think that's critical. Uh, I mean, but think about the idea of value investing in general, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting concept. You're basically trying to you're you're basically determining that you believe something is of lesser value over mm -hmm. the long term and that there's outside non-fundamental things that are you know driving price so right. or driving the price up and that's kind of what people do in the real estate world right mm -hmm. good investors often are doing a similar type of thing that that the value investors are doing in the stocks world yeah uh, i think that i think that goes back to what you're saying cost slash price is arbitrary it, it that's like ringing true right now as it relates to this whole thing with with this real estate situation that I'm specifically mentioning, but even in general, because like you say, yeah. we talk to a lot of people on a regular basis who feel like opportunities are coming. I'm hanging on to my cash because I want to be ready when they come. Yeah, basically what you said. The, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Idea of sure. value coming, and uh, there will be people in a pickle who have to sell at a discount, etc. And so they're biding their time until that comes. Hoping to get that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's go through some examples of, and we, we could come up with several of these, but I thought it would be fun to talk through a couple of them. Yep. Um, okay. So the example that they gave in the article is what I want to start with, just because it's, it's easy to distinguish. It's clear and concise. So the example they said is someone selling a gold bar. Okay. We'll think like a gold bar for, mm -hmm. You know, I don't know how big it is, but any gold bar for five bucks, only five bucks. It's a really simple, like a simple example. But what they're saying is while the price of that gold bar is five dollars and that person priced it there for whatever reasons they mm -hmm. felt were necessary or reasonable. Right. Yeah. However, anybody like we all kind of just know that the value of a gold bar even if it was a small gold bar, is significantly more than $5, right? Absolutely. Okay, that's kind of our first example. Now we're going to get into more like practical examples that we might run into. This is one that I thought of because um, 
I feel like I've run into this before. Okay. Yeah. So my kids have all had like a favorite item. Um, they liked their blankets when they were super little. Right. Mm -hmm. And that blanket was probably, was probably like eight bucks to pay. If you were going to go buy it at the store or something, maybe not because somebody knitted it. Cannon's blankets that he loved were, were knitted. So maybe it was like okay. 15 or 20 bucks, but not very much. Right. Yeah. But can I just tell you, when he didn't have that, like if he lost that blanket when he was little or like he needed it to sleep, whatever. Can mm -hmm. I just tell you, I would have paid significantly more <laughs> for that blanket. Yeah, It was worth like, there's been times where that stupid blanket's probably worth like thousands of dollars to me. I'd be like, yeah. if it's going to, if it's going to do this, then I'm, I'm willing to pay it. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's obviously another extreme example, but but it's kind of an, another example. The value, while the price tag was really low, mm -hmm. the value to me, the value to my kid is so much greater than the actual price tag. So in that yeah. situation, I'm probably not worried as much about price because I'm going to get something out of it that the price really you know, doesn't give me. Okay. Right. So now, Rod, I want to get into, I want you to get into this example because we deal with it we talk about it and deal with it basically every day, right? Mm -hmm. You probably multiple times a day. Okay. So talk about how this comes up in our daily world, specifically around life insurance strategies. Yeah. Okay. So probably the, the one that comes to mind first is the investment optimizer. Um, because, and especially because even in our own material, we put it out there and say, Hey, if you're building up your opportunity fund inside of a savings account, uh, it comes at a quote unquote cost, right? Because you have, opportunity cost and or just inflation, all that kind of stuff, e eroding the value of what's sitting there waiting for the next deal, right? Or instead, you can put it into these types of specially designed life insurance policies where you get the same safety and liquidity, but you can create a five plus percent net return that's tax free. And so the money is actually doing something for you between deals. And even during the deals, the, the kind of, you know, creating value in multiple places at the same time, all these different things we talked about with Investment Optimizer, right? So we're we're selling value. We're saying, hey, this is what you get by participating in setting up this type of policy and using it with your investing. And yet it, it comes at a cost, right? In order to get there, uh, you have to have the life insurance policy, which comes with a cost that this... And that's a cost you don't get with the bank account, right? Right. Hopefully, right? The bank stays there and, and your money's there <laughs> when you're ready for it, all that kind of stuff, right? So um, so that's basically what we're proposing is we're saying, hey, there's there's more value. Like in that specific example, when we show the side-by-side, -side, use the investment optimizer instead of using the bank account. And here's a person A, person B, you know, doing this over time. At the end of 20 years, we show in that example that with those specific numbers, a, a difference of $2 million that the person who used the investment optimizer has that the person who was just using their savings account doesn't have. Yeah. But they have to, anyone who, who then decides to participate in it has to believe in that value, pay that cost to get there. Because if you don't pay the cost, you can't get there. Yeah. It's right? a, and it's a really interesting, like this concept, the philosophy around, cost it, it always has been one of those things that's a little bit mind-boggling to me only because um well i'll give you an example Let, let's talk about hedge funds for a second because yeah. i just think this is a really clear good example of how this works so hedge funds are notorious for 
having a much higher cost to them, a much higher mm -hmm. price to the investor. Yeah. And usually it's a cost of like 2% as an annual fee and 20. This is just like your ho-hum average run of the mill hedge fund. There's, there's hedge funds out there. I've heard of that are doing five and 50. When I mean, when I say that, I mean, 5% on your uh, underlying balance on the underlying balance of the total account and 50% of the, the total gains or two and 20 would be 2% and 20% of the gains. Okay. Wait, so there's, um, just to clarify, if I have, again, it's a hedge fund, so it has to be a big number. Let's say it's a million dollars in hedge fund. You're saying that I know I'm going to pay 20,000 because that's 2%. Yep. But then if they grow that million dollars and they turn it into $2 million, I'm also going to pay them $200,000 because that's 20% of what they were able to gain for me. Is that what you saying? got it. You got okay. it. Yep, exactly. Okay. So, and then what's typical, if you go to like a typical advisor, who's just kind of helping you invest in the market, you know, mm -hmm. doing your kind of typical advisor things, um, you know, asset allocation, rebalancing, those kinds of things that is normally going to be around a percent, maybe a percent and a half. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Um, so that that's again, specifically, that's the fee that's going to the advisors, the, yeah. the people managing. Uh, so. So when you think about that and really, if you if you go to like a mutual fund, it's even going to be less than that. Right. The mutual fund managers might get like 50 basis points or something like that. Okay. Right. So so my my point here is just to say that typically it is much, much lower than that. So here's the question. That you'd have to ask yourself, why in the world, Rod, would anybody pay two and 20 or crazy enough five and 50 for a hedge fund if they could get the same thing for a lot? Well, guess what? They wouldn't. They right? don't get the same thing. They yeah. don't get the same thing. But so here's the question. Why does somebody go and pay that? Well, they would only pay it if they felt like that it was going to create a lot more value for them. Right. right. And the it's the same million dollars I could I could instead be paying. 10 grand or 15 grand for the fees. It seems like an easy, like a no brainer, right? Yeah. However. So <laughs> yeah. So what's happening then is that person believes that the, the value is coming from the ability to invest and create returns. Mm -hmm. Even a, like they believe it would be significantly above what you could get in those other places. Therefore you're willing to pay that. And yeah. guess what? If, if that's the case, you're absolutely, many hedge funds have proven to do exactly that. Well, mm -hmm. one of the things that I've always thought was interesting there is, well, what people generally are known for investing in hedge funds, it's usually wealthy people, mm -hmm. right? Wealthier yeah. people generally, the reason they do it is because they know that there's value there, right? They know that there's, and oftentimes it's like selective and you're like, I'm trying to think of an example here, but in many hedge funds, you might have to have a certain minimum. Like yeah. I had um, years ago, years ago, 20 years ago, my wife was a nanny for a, for a family that had moved from Virginia and lives in Salt Lake. Okay. Um, and he was a hedge fund manager um, and their minimum per account was 5 million. Okay. So okay. you had to bring I 5 million. You went way, you went way low in terms of like <laughs> where, where that needed to be. Um, so yeah, his was like an energy fund and mm -hmm. they were, I think the the minimum was five mil. Anyway, my point is just to say that like wealthy people are able to get in and want to get in oftentimes because the quality or the value they're getting is so much greater than even the value that the people are getting who are paying much yeah. less. The yeah. price tag might be much higher, 
but the gains are also much higher. Yeah. So when you think about that, like it, it's kind of, it's, it is arbitrary. Price oftentimes is arbitrary because we don't know the value that we're going to get back out of it. In the life insurance, in the life insurance example, um, I'm going to pay maybe let's call it a percent over the life of the policy to get five plus percent back. So that means like, like, have I really paid? Like, I, I kind of have paid something, but I've still netted out more than I've netted out my five plus, even including the fees. So like, yeah. what's the true cost of that? Yeah. Right. It's yep. an interesting conversation. It really okay. is. Okay. I think I have one more example. Let me see. Uh, oh, we, yes, we do have one more example. Like, actually, Rod, you can bring this one up because we talk about this all the time too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, we wrote down the name Tom Will, right? This is a, a conversation that we have, but between you and me, but also with our clients all the time, because he's a really well-known accountant in, in our space, in our community. And, but if you want to have him do your taxes, you're going to pay a bunch for it. I don't know. I don't know what that is. I, I'm not yeah. paying him, right? I'm not, he's I, I don't well known, but he's also well known for having a significant price tag, right? Yeah. Because well, again, why does anybody go to Tom Wheelwright then? The people that I know that are going to Tom Wheelwright are people who have millions a year of income and save hundreds of thousands, if not into the millions in taxes by working with Tom. So they pay him a lot. Again, I don't know exactly how much they're paying, but for what they're the value they're getting out of it, they may pay him 10% of the actual value that he brings, that the actual savings of tax that, that they have. So, so, so what's interesting though is they have to believe that by going to Tom with his additional level of expertise, mm -hmm. that he's going to be able to save them more in tax than if they were to go and pay somebody much less. Yep. Like over the net, the net on that, you know, you're going to want it to come out on top. Right. But, but that's the interesting thing is lots of people are able to do that because there is a difference. Like mm -hmm. someone like Tom obviously knows the difference between price and value. So he's like, I have no problem charging that because yep. the value that I'm bringing is so much greater than the price tag. Right. In fact, some people like some people in that situation would think that they're a huge bargain. I think about like a surgeon, like, Think about a really specialized surgeon. They might be getting paid a million bucks a year, but that could be like an ounce of what they're actually worth if they're mm -hmm. saving people's lives. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. So anyway, just just a couple of examples of of price for size. Okay. Can I bring one more up? Just yes. as we've been talking, it just come to mind because I taught I mentioned earlier that our daughter's buying this, they're buying this house. And the other day we were also talking about loans. So when you go and you evaluate loans you have the all the different factors that come into it there's the actual interest rate but then there's closing costs and other fees that come along with it so you have to boil it down and so we talked about this whole idea of, of the apr being the conglomerate of all of those things brought into a rate that you can use to, to compare yeah and what was interesting is that she kind of talked me through the different places that she had talked to about potentially getting this loan and she knows she already knew she was not going to pay. She's not, she was going to pay a higher rate for the people that she was choosing to go with, but it's because they were clearly bringing more value. So in other words, mm, that's impressive. when, when she Young looked at and uh, like the credit value. union where they have their accounts and talked to them about a loan, they, they got a rate, they got the information they needed, 
uh, but they just didn't have the same experience with them as they did when they talked to the, pre- the person they're going to go with because he came and he brought value. He said, okay, well, if you do this, this, and this, then you can uh, either reduce the amount you have to put down or, or whatever, right? There were just several different points where he was clearly bringing value. And so she's making a conscious decision saying, hey, I'm, I'm willing to pay more of an interest rate because I feel like the value he's bringing back overcomes that. Like I'm going to pay less total dollars out of my pocket over time because of him bringing that value, even though the actual rate will be higher. Okay, Rod, I have to just question, I'll give you the question. How do you feel about that? I know that we're talking about price and value, but I'm yeah. just thinking about, I'm just, I'm just like taking in the experience you just said. And I'm like, okay. So, but generally like a loan officer or something like that is someone you sit down with like for an hour once, do you really want to pay a higher interest rate on a loan that's 30 years for a meeting where someone did provided more value in one hour? Yeah, no, the, it's, then these are exactly <laughs> the things that are going through my head as we're having this conversation. <laughs> Um, but, but where I ended up was because she was talking about, it was true value, right? It was like truly the, where the, on the one hand, they were just saying, well, how much are you buying the house for? And and here it is. And Uh he was saying, well, here are different things you can do if you use conventional versus FHA versus, you know, doing this or that to, okay to where it really looked like from, from what I could see that, that. So maybe structurally from the loan and that kind of perspective, it still was creating more value than what they were getting. Okay, yeah. so it wasn't just like better service; it was actual value. Yes, yeah. Okay, exactly. okay, okay. Yep. I yep. think I confused that in my head. That makes more sense. Kind of okay. like the you know the Tom Wilright thing. If he can bring more Absolutely. ideas that, that bring more value, then then you pay more. So and yeah, I don't have any problem if like I mean I think about well, I paid a lot in tax last year, Rod, and I can just tell you that if someone came and said, "Hey, Christian, you pay me a hundred grand." And I will, you'll pay like $300,000 less in tax. I'd be like, well, sign me up for that. Right. right? Yep. Unless of course I knew somebody that could do it for like 5,000. The problem is, is that doesn't usually exist. Right. Value oftentimes times does increase the cost of something. Okay. Um, Rod, why do you think understanding the difference between price and value is important specifically when it comes to investing and wealth building? Wow. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of different directions I could go, but I think the to sum it up, there are there are risks out there that we sometimes don't recognize. There are, um, well, the the I often say this, like the loudest voice would point you toward, like everyone should always do this, regardless of who you are and and your situations and all this kind of stuff, right? Like throw a blanket over everyone and. Everyone should do the same thing. Uh, and that's, I, I just don't think that's the case at all because different people value different things. They, they may be looking for something different in their investments. So a person who, who takes the, kind of that Robert Kiyosaki uh, philosophy of creating passive income compared to the person who says, no, I'm, I'm going to create this nest egg to, to take me to the promised land where I can be Mm-hmm. you know, independently wealthy. Um, they're, they're two very different approaches and you'll bring different expectations or different uh, measurement of value depending on 
your approach and what you're looking for. So that's why each individual investor has to look at it themselves. And we try to bring, you know, like principles that can be useful in doing that. And I really feel like this is one of those where regardless of who you are, what your investment philosophy is, what type of things you like to invest in, if you can boil it down to what are, what are the things that you value? Cause that's the, what was the word used before? That's, that's fundamental value is yeah. fundamental. And, and then you do have to pay a cost for that. That's arbitrary, but it's arbitrary because you have to match those two together and get to a place where you feel like if you're paying higher costs is because it brings higher value. But if it's not going to bring the higher value, don't just pay the higher cost just because. Yeah, right? absolutely. 100%. I don't value a Louis Vuitton anything. So I never buy anything like that. Whereas there <laughs> clearly there are people out there who do and they'll pay the higher because there's value that it brings to them. Right. Hopefully Louis Vuitton. I love it. <laughs> Good example, Rod. Good example. Yeah, um, I can I can attest that Rod doesn't get a lot of value from Blue Vuitton. Okay, um, here's a couple of thoughts on this. First of all, finding the difference between price and value is probably, as a whole, the most effective overall investment strategy. Now, Warren Buffett says that finding the difference between price and value is the most effective investment strategy, and it makes sense, right? Going back mm -hmm. to this idea of value investing, Right. Obviously, if I can consistently buy things at a price that is that is lower than their value, that's like how we create investment returns. Right mm -hmm. now, some things just kind of you might buy at the value and they just kind of go up over time. But obviously, it's significantly more powerful if we can find things that are lower priced and higher value. OK, Rod, I think all of the reasons that you suggested there are right on point. Can I just provide a couple of thoughts as it relates to this? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so first off, our man Warren Buffett says that finding the difference between price and value is the most effective investment strategy. That makes sense. It makes sense because if we can consistently buy or take it, take advantage of investment opportunities that are priced under their current value, mm -hmm. then of course, um, over time, and that's another thing I was going to mention. I, and I think that this was also from Warren Buffett, but it might have been from his mentor, uh, Mr. Graham. But one of the things that they suggested is that basically over time, it always comes to its value. Over yeah. time, it always equals its value. It might be higher or lower in a given moment for a myriad of different reasons. It could be fear, could be greed, it could be emotion, like a, a million different things. It could mm -hmm. be earnings, whatever, right? All of these things come into play. Um, but the reality is over time, they eventually come together. Yeah. So if that's the case, if that's the case, and you can consistently buy things at a discount or under their value, then obviously, as those things come together, you have an opportunity to sell them um, and create significant returns. Better than if you were to purchase them at the current value in hopes that they just go up from there. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And I think that's uh, like a trap that a lot of people get caught up in is they say, well, I want it to prove its value before I'm willing to buy it. Well, mm. if it if it has already done that, you know, it's already run up. Uh, you may again, it's it's a different in each case, but you may just be buying it at an overpriced spot because 
which, which happens all the time, right? You watch yep. the, you watch the trends and you say, okay, uh, well, the worst thing to do is be to say, look at the, you know, 52 week price. It's at its high point. Now it's time for me to buy. <laughs> right. Right. Now, yeah. does, does that all, does that say that you never should do that? Well, of course not because sometimes pride, the, the value keeps going higher. Right. Yeah. Well, think undervalued about... 52 weeks ago and it's still going to keep driving that price higher. But man. right. I think about almost the lap previous to the last year, the last 10 years in, in the real estate. So, and really the economy as a whole. Yeah. Like any philosophy that was weight and because things are high and it'll go lower ended up, you know, being the wrong philosophy. Mm -hmm. I guess I, I say that. And perhaps if it's long term enough, that still could end, end up coming to fruition. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, it's an interesting thought. Going back to what you said about finding the difference between price and value, the, like, like you have to actually look at it to, to say, Hey, all these people were successful in investing in this stock. Therefore I should buy it now is not the reason to buy the stock. You have to go and look at it and say, is there reason to think it's going to continue going higher? And if you truly believe that, then the price and the value that like that difference between price and value is going to help you. But if not, if you're just buying because all these other people bought it, you know, two years ago and it's done really well for them, therefore I should buy it now. Well, that's, that's not going to be the right mindset to go into. Okay. So Rod, when I think of this difference between price and value, the first stock that comes to mind is Tesla. Okay. Now, whether that's true or not, like whether, whether the value is as high as the price on it, who knows, right? We'll mm -hmm. see mm -hmm. over time. But I just remember there was this, it was probably, I don't, I don't know, it was in the last year or two that it just like skyrocketed, right? Mm -hmm. Overnight. And like every day it just felt like it was going higher than the next. And really a lot of people, you know, probably won big getting into that. I don't know where it's gone. I don't own Tesla personally. Um, but that's just one that comes to mind as I think about, I, I remember thinking like, like that thing is incredibly high priced. I can't imagine that it's really going to be worth that long-term mm -hmm. interesting. But, but again, yeah. that's what makes a good investor or being able to guess that, or guess isn't the right word, um, adequately analyze the data and make good decisions consistently yep. is what makes really good investors. Yep. Okay. Rod, I liked the, as we're talking about good investors, I liked this, uh, list that Phil Towns gave us. He basically gave us four M's that will help us become better investors and specifically help us find value in our investing. Okay. Yeah. So here's what the four M's are. We'll just roll through them quickly. The first one is meaning. If it has meaning, you'll understand it better, be more likely to research it and be more passionate about investing in it. This is kind of obvious. I think we all intrinsically know that this is true, right? Yep. If there's things that we just care about, um, I think about I, I'm again. I'm going back to Warren Buffett. I think he said that he he buys things that he's interested in. He buys mm -hmm. things that he believes in. Those kinds of things. Um, the value isn't just like the moral, like a, a win from a morality standpoint. Although that mm -hmm. could be that could be important to us too. But it could be that the difference in doing it ends up um, being that we spend more time, energy, effort, get more out of it, and then ultimately make better decisions. So Absolutely. I really like this idea of providing meaning. Yeah, I like it. Because yeah. that 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 alone can make all the difference. Because like you said, if if you choose something that you can't get behind, you, you're, you're 
energy, your life energy, you can't like devote it towards that, then you're just probably not going to be successful in it. So I, I, yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense. Okay, Rod, the second one is moat. And I was like, okay, this one's interesting, moat. Okay, Rod, talk a little bit about it. Because I, I mean, I've basically spelled it out there, but you've got some good examples of what this is. So describe what that means, first of all, and then jump into an example that you've got. Yeah. So in on moat, you're just creating some separation between you and the competition. And that can that can take on a lot of different forms. Example you have here is like Coke's brand is their moat because no one else can be Coke. Like they can create what they feel like is a superior tasting or or um, help more healthy alternative to Coke. But it's they're not going to be Coke. Right. It's, it's just, yeah, the brand creates that moat. Uh, the other things are like what, what you might call barriers to entry of things like intellectual property or like a prop proprietary process that a company has figured out or in, you know, in the case of a lot of our investors, a syndicator has figured out or, or whatever, right? Like you feel like, Hey, this group has something going on that, creates a barrier between them and the competition so that I can get more value out of them. And these are, these are examples where you might choose to pay more or whatever, like you said, with the hedge fund or, or whatever, that your, you can see the difference between price and value and put your money on the horse, on the jockey that you feel I like can take you to the promised land. Okay, Rod, I've got a great example of this. Okay. You ready? Here's a company that's done all that, that if you're thinking about moat, the first one that comes to mind is Blockbuster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Blockbuster is a perfect analogy for what not to do, right? Now, yeah, I, I just say that in the sense that when you're talking about moat, they had a lot of good things, right? They were a good, strong company for a long time. So I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, throw them under the bus. But I am suggesting that they did not have the moat, right? They were missing something that delineated them significantly from other people. Um, and because they didn't have that and ended up being what basically shut them down over time when right. Redbox came about. Yeah, Redbox and then Netflix and it just like that. Yep, it just, that yeah. And well, that's it. Redbox continued. has almost like gone out be, out of business because of Netflix, right? So, yeah. so yeah, it's just kind of next level. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um so I do think it's a good thought, though. When you're looking for a great investment, um, I just this really rings true to me. Looking for um, investment opportunities that are doing something different. Oh, okay, so I'll give you an example. Now I know that other people describe this a lot, but we work a lot with Western Wealth Capital, and their moat I think is their process. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. They feel really strongly that they're able to create value through a really well thought out defined process that they're using. So that ends up being kind of what sets them apart and makes it difficult for other people, um, other syndicators to, to maybe perform as well. Okay. Um, and like you said, other examples, intellectual property, that kind of thing. Um, okay. Rob, the third step is, and this is interesting because we talk about this from a principle standpoint all the time when mm -hmm. we're talking about how to find a good syndicator. The, th the third step is to look at the company's management, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're in a syndication situation, you're looking at the people who are running the things, the operators that 
are managing on a day-to-day and making investment decisions. You're looking at track records um, because obviously a company that has strong management that's trustworthy and talented is going to give you a much better opportunity um, to create a higher return. Absolutely. And the opposite is true as well. You, you, the correct property, the correct timing, everything else, but the wrong manager and you're not going to get any success. Yeah. Well, and it could be, could be devastating, right? If you get the, if you get someone who just genuinely doesn't know what they're doing. So, so yeah, you want to make sure that you're investing and the same thing can be true with companies, right? You, you don't want to, you don't want to invest in companies that have management that don't know what they're doing. That's equally as dangerous. Okay. The last one, Rod, number four was just a little bit of a different concept. I, I, I know the concept specifically as it relates to like stock investing, but I was trying to bring it like more holistic, making it more holistically applicable. Mm-hmm. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought that it fit. So, so the fourth M is margin of safety. Okay. So margin of safety is basically the, well, okay. So I'm going to read the quote and then I'll describe what I kind of, what I gather as to what margin of safety is and how it, how it um, applies to what we're talking about. So margin, if the management meets those qualifications, right? The three that we talked about, the three M's above that, then step four is to calculate its margin of safety. Buffett, who's a staunch believer in the margin of safety, has declared it one of his cornerstones of investing. So I read that and I'm like, okay, well, let's let's dig into this a little bit more. Um, and then he says it's been known to apply as much as 50% discount to intrinsic value of a stock as his price target. So he's just basically saying he puts a lot of stock into this idea of, of margin of safety. Well, yeah. margin of safety is still an interesting one, and you can calculate it in a variety of different ways. So I'm not going to get into the various calculations, but from a meaning standpoint, it just means the price point at which you believe that you can safely get a return. Now, that still is feels very arbitrary, right? Mm-hmm. But that's really what he's what they're suggesting is, is if you feel like, and, and again, it is based on research and due diligence and those other things, but at some level, it has to be based on what you think, right? You take yeah. in the data and ultimately you're saying that I believe that in this situation, because of this margin of safety or all of these reasons, it's very, very unlikely that I'm going to do anything less than get my money back or have no return. And I genuinely believe that I'll do more than that. And that's kind of what, the, but again, you can look at the various different ways to actually calculate margin of safety and see if one of them applies uh, more specifically to you. But I thought that was applicable as a whole, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's really like what we're doing. We're having to make a call when as investors, we take in all of this information, right? We take, we do the other three M's mm-hmm. and then we take the information and we have to make a decision, whether we use specifically this concept of margin of safety or some other process to get there. The The bottom line is we have to take the information in and get there in some way. And I thought that that was a good way to kind of think about it in a good framework. Yeah. It almost sounds like you're taking those principles and then building a process around it to create those buying prices, so to speak, or, or buying principles so that you can recognize a deal when you see one. That yeah. That, and that is a great point, right? I, I probably made it sound like it's just like, you know, throw, throw in, 
what do you throw up in the wind? A feather up in the wind and seeing which way it goes? Mm -hmm. It's definitely not that, right? Oftentimes it can have very distinctive um, metrics that it's that it's you know taking in before it kind of spits out that result. Um, okay, Rod, quick quick review of the four M's and then we'll clean we'll uh, call this a day. M number one meaning find meaning. Number two is moat. Number three, management. Number four, margin of safety. And Rod, the conclusion that I got out of this whole exercise, and I've always believed this, yeah. but I hope that after we've talked about it together, that other people, if, they're, if they've been on the fence on this idea, I hope that the conclusion you'll come to is that it's critical in investing in wealth building to focus on value, not just price. Agreed. Okay. Thanks everybody for hanging out with us this week. And uh, we hopefully will see you next Thank week. you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in the show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights Podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.